You're listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. The Encyclopedia Britannica defines Renaissance man, also called Universal Man, as an ideal that developed in Renaissance Italy that a man can do all things if he will. The ideal embodied the basic tenets of Renaissance humanism, which considered man the center of the universe, and led to the notion that men should try to embrace all knowledge and develop their own capacities as fully as possible. I consider today's guest to be such a man. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce you to the director of Dreamlike Puppet Company, Arthur Poor. Welcome to the show, Arthur. Thank you, Marshall. Nice to be here. You know, I, I called you a Renaissance man because in addition to writing and performing music and creating films, you're also a puppeteer and a former member of the New York City Fire Department. How do you see your persona? Much more of an artist than a firefighter, but uh, yeah, I did 23 years as that. My my father had said to me early on, he said, you want to be an artist? And I said, yes. And he said, well, get a job with a pension. So um, I'm retired now, 16 years. I've had uh, freedom and time and ability to do uh, a lot, so many different things. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really uh, pinpoint my, myself in any of those. So I, I stay busy. Well, uh, you're, you're obviously very busy. Uh, I'd, I'd like to just talk a little bit about the, the opening that we started with, Manaki Factory. What went into putting this together? Well, I'm a surrealist, and um, a lot of my, a lot of characters wind up in the paintings. Uh, I'm a painter, the canvases, and... Um, my late wife said to me at one point, she goes, you know, these would make great puppets. And I was like, yeah, that's interesting. So most, unfortunately, most of it happened. She's gone now, uh, actually, uh, 12 years. But I've been taking these things and these characters, they're, they're like uh, assemblage characters, a lamp, a part of a lamp, and, you know, and then I use some wax or clay to get some animatable parts out of it. And, and anyway, I have a lot of characters, and, and I just started filming them in situations like walking past a fence and entering a door or entering a room or interacting, and then they create things. Uh, one paints, one sculpts, you know, so each one of these characters is doing something. And then I, I kept adding to it. And that's Manaki Factory. I'm still adding to it. I, I haven't concluded it yet. Now, now, when when your wife suggested that they would make great puppets, had, had you been working with puppets before that? Oh, I've been a puppeteer since uh, at five years old. I'm from a large family. I'm one of seven children, and my parents are nine. Uh, makes nine. At five years old, they were calling me Puppet Boy. So it wasn't very cool then, but uh, we were all doing puppet shows. We had the closet and the, and the curtain, and you'd jump in the closet, and you'd, there were several puppets, and you'd pick one up, and every, we would take turns doing acts for each other, and if, if you weren't good enough, boom, boo, get off, <laughs> and then bring on the next one. So it was just such a natural thing to continue into my... So then I, in elementary school, it was actually... Uh, there were bullies. I was a small kid. Now I'm a big... Now I'm a bruiser myself. But as a small kid with puppets, you know, some people gave me a hard time. (laughs) 
and so, and then uh, this evolved into film. Uh, just for listeners who might want to follow along with the the visual elements that we're going to be talking about, where could we see the films that we're we're going to play the soundtracks for? Oh, I would say probably most is available on Facebook under Dreamlike Puppet Company. Three words. Another film that I'd like to discuss is Where Do Dragon Ships Go? You seem to have a, a recurring theme of flight and travel on, on the seas. What went into the creation of this film, which I believe was a collaboration with your late brother? Yeah, that was, um, I used his paintings. Um, he, I have about five or 600 of his paintings right here. I've got my hand on them. Um, and, you know, I, I have hundreds of my own. So uh, someday it'd be nice to open a gallery or do something smart. But I made the dragon ship. The dragon ship is uh, almost three feet long. It's motorized. It has wings. The dragon head goes back and forth. The mouth opens. The wings flap. Bellows pumps in the back. There are paddle wheels on the side going around. It's a really cool thing. So <laughs> having made this thing, I was wondering, you know, will it float? Because, you know, I never made a boat before, but... Here I made this beautiful ship hull, and I said, oh, the hull came out good. Let me develop it and see what I could do. So <laughs> made it into the dragon ship, and then we had a pool. So I took uh, an eight-foot mural that Russell had painted, and I put it in the water so it reflected directly in the water. And then we had a, a smoke machine going, and... I had my sons involved, and one's on camera, and the other one's just helping me guide the ship. So it's pretty much just the ship moving back and forth under its own power and uh, with the wings flapping and the, everything going. And well, so it, it's, it doesn't tell a story in any way. It just comes and goes. Well, with that uh, visual description, why don't we take a listen to the soundtrack for Where Do Dragon Ships Go? Cool.
That was the soundtrack to Where Do Dragon Ships Go? And it was a film produced by my guest, Arthur Poor. Now, hopefully, our listeners have hooked onto the visuals on uh, YouTube to, to watch this. I'm uh, interested in, in the soundtrack itself, what we hear. What went into that? Um, I got a fairly sophisticated keyboard, and um, I self-taught, uh, self-taught musician. So I play about, I don't know, I never counted, somewhere between 8 and 10 instruments, 8 or 12. And uh, I, can, I just, my entire life, anytime I was in the presence of a musical instrument, whether it was appropriate or not, a lot of times uh, as a young kid, I would pick, pick one up or sit down at somebody's piano or try and make, make music. I was just always drawn to it. So I have an in, um, I was in an all-county chorus in Nassau County, you know, it was 300 people chosen from the county, and so I'm, I'm mostly starting out as a singer early on, and then little by little, my parents got me an auto harp one year, and I was like 10 years old, and we had an M&E organ, and I tuned the auto harp with the help of the organ, and it's like I didn't, I didn't understand. I, I still don't have music theory, <laughs> so I don't understand the, the whole thing. But I have an intuit, intuition, which works great because I've played with hundreds of bands, and uh, and uh, I'm quite talented musicians. I'm a member of an organization of open mic performing artists, and they do a lot of charity work. We do food drives, coat drives, toy drives, and. Uh, and volunteer for several different things. So I'm involved in music in that way and helps helps life a lot. So I, I'm impressed. You, you were able to tune an auto harp without any training. Yeah, because I had it for like a year and a half or so, and it wasn't in tune. So when you press the button, you hit the strings, it sounds like garbage. One day I noticed that along the bass end of, the, of all the strings where they connect, there was a diagram underneath the strings of a piano keyboard. So that, was, that gave me the, the tip, tip off. And I had a, a wrench, it's like a piano wrench. And the old ones, you put it on the square peg and tink, 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 you had to jerk it kind of, because it wasn't smooth. Now they have these Allen keys at the other end of the string and you can really fine tune these things now. At the time, yeah, it took a bit, took a bit of doing. I broke a string or two and then got them, got new strings and fixed them up and taught myself how to play. And then I learned hundreds of songs, and then I started translating the, um, later on, like out of high school, I was doing wine and cheese places and playing in bars, and I um, started playing mandolin more and playing with other musicians. That, uh, you know, leads right up to today, where the only thing keeping me from doing it is <laughs> is the pandemic. Which is uh, affecting many, many artists. Uh, But I'm impressed that you are doing all of this without formal training. Prism Electrique, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, was part of a night tribute to an artist of the 20th century, Sonia Delanois. Delanois, Delaunay. Sonia Delaunay, who knew and influenced poets, musicians, and other artists, and wound up being the first woman with a solo show at the Louvre. 
you were asked to do a video for this tribute. Can you, can you tell us how that request came about? Well, a friend of mine, Stephen Witteman, who uh, used to live in Huntington on Long Island, worked quite a bit, uh, quite often with the uh, local operatic company. And he moved to Chicago, and he put them in touch with me, saying, you know, if you want anything done with puppetry, Artie's your man. <laughs> that was nice of him. The first project that came along was was this, and originally they were asking for want some just colored lights moving around, kind of sh to show how we're painting. But they, they they didn't want me to do a biography, and they I kept submitting little bits of of film, and they would say yes, we like that. No, we don't like that. Yes, this is good. <laughs> it's it's somebody else's music, and somebody else was directing the uh, the outcome, but I, did, I spent three months animating and just trial, trial and error until we found uh, something that everybody liked. Well, it certainly uh, is a very impressive piece of work. You, you also collaborated with Todd Evans on Serenity, uh, though this film does not utilize, as far as I know, any stop motion or any other digital effects. It definitely showcases your eye for painting. Have other artists influenced your work? Oh, yes, yes. I could name a dozen, uh, but um, I was always impressed with Salvador Dali's expertise. You know, he doesn't always paint uh, the content. It wasn't always my, my cup of tea, but his execution was absolutely unbelievable. Rene Magritte is another one, Yves Tangi. Why don't we take a listen to the the soundtrack for Serenity. And, uh, oh, okay. Todd Evans, he's coming by tonight. We work together. We still do this. We stay six or eight feet apart, and we still make music once a month or something like that. So, All thank right. you. So we're going to hear Todd with you on Serenity. Right.
That was the soundtrack to Serenity, which was produced by my guest, Arthur Poor. If you mix in M.C. Escher's Salvador Dali, who you already oh, mentioned. Oh, absolutely, Escher. And, yeah. and uh, Eraserhead, I, I think you'd come up with the next track that I want to listen to, and that's some kinetic sculptures. And th- this track utilizes mostly acoustic instruments. C- can you introduce it for us? You know, I laid down a track, that Todd laid down the guitar track on that last one, and then I took, I, I went and I did all the doctoring afterwards. So that's usually what I do. I usually come up with a successful first track and then uh, multi-track over it with whatever comes up at the time. It's not like I'm a composer. I'm making it up as I go along and waiting for a good good track, you know? And so, spokes play it, that's all. So, so uh, for some kinetic sculptures, did, did you create the video first and then add the music, or which came first? Definitely the video came first. All right, let's take a listen to some kinetic sculptures. Oh, my God. 
I mentioned earlier, and you mentioned. Ooh, wait, I gotta say, it's all coming back to me now. Okay, uh, go for um, it. The basic track was laid down. Two guys that I've been working with since tenth grade. I'm 66 now, so uh, we've been had worked together for you know something like 40 years, on and off. Did animations, comedy. We did puppetry. We did a lot of music together, and uh, and they laid down the basic track on that, and then I added stuff later. Names uh, Joe Paranello and Rich Polito. Believe it or not, we are slowly running out of time here, but I, I was interested if your work with the New York City Fire Department influenced your art in any way. Well, I did two large pieces which made up one big painting in a six foot by seven foot um, mural, and it goes into so many different each. It, it's like almost tells a story. It goes, the towers were up when I started. So there's this sky, New, New York City skyline there in the background. And the towers came down at some point, obviously. And I have the wreckage painted in. And then um, there's just a lot of little uh, things that blend one right into the other. So that affected that piece. But overall, I would say no. I did try always, uh, whatever firehouse I worked in, I always tried to set up something in the basement where I could either make things or make some music or, you know, it's not like we had a lot of time on our hands, but we had some time. And uh, I tried to make good use of it while I was there. That one ship that I made turned into, now I have a fleet of about a dozen, more than a dozen actually, because there's three or four that aren't done yet. But these ships are four feet long, one is six and a half feet long, and each one is different in some surreal, crazy way. And they get a lot of attention, but they're hard to move around, so I, you know, it's not like I can get a show easily, and some people just don't want to take the chance of people touching and breaking little pieces off and stuff like that. We only have 30 seconds left. If you could go back to the start of your professional career, what would you do differently? Hmm, I'd probably learn music theory. Um, yeah, so I went to the School of Visual Arts. I took some animation, uh, an animation course there and, and painting, and et cetera. But I would probably have focused more on, on things like that early on so that it would actually have developed further than I, where I am now. Arthur, I'm so happy that you were able to take the time to speak with me, and I'd like to come full circle and close with Manaki Factory. And thanks again, and I hope to hear from you again. Hey, thanks, Marshall. You're a good friend. I'll, I'll see you around. Manaki Factory. You've been listening to Mr. Radio, and I'm your host, Marshall. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Mr. Radio.